again, it's so good to see you all here. As you're turning to Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to tell you something. I'm turning there. So before I get to the message tonight, I would like to tell you about a conference I was able to attend this week. On Monday and Tuesday, my wife and I had an opportunity to attend the first North Central Church Planting Conference hosted by Pastor Jett and the folks at Eastside Baptist Church there in Sioux Falls. It's a home missions conference, and it focuses on reaching our region with the gospel. And I'm informing you of this to let you know after the fact that I took $1,200 of church money to give out evenly to the six missionaries that were being represented. represented. Was it eight? Yeah, you're right. It, it ended up being eight. I'm sorry. It was $150 a piece. And um, it came upon me so fast. I didn't have time to, to bring it before the church. I apologize for that. I did ask a few of the deacons just to make sure that they were okay with all of this. And so I wanted to thank you, first of all, for staying faithful in your giving. It wouldn't be possible to reach out and help these church planners if you had not been faithful to give. And we had surplus to be able to give out. So thank you for being faithful to give to help spread the gospel in our region. My burden for South Dakota was reignited when James Ruckman gave the stats of towns in South Dakota with no church, no Baptist churches. It'll break your heart. And what's difficult, obviously, is a lot of these towns are below 2,000 people. So it's very difficult to ever be self-supported from that church. So a lot of these men are either bivocational or they have raised enough support to take care of their families while they're doing that. But for a first conference, man, I was really excited for the number of attendees. There were pastors there from obviously South Dakota, Minnesota, Nebraska, Iowa. Um, I think there might have been one even from Kansas. I know one guy came up all the way from Oklahoma. And so it was just wonderful. But there was over $25,000 raised for home missions here in our region and over $850 a month went to support these missionaries, church planners. I, I did not take anybody on for support. I would rather have your permission certainly before I do that. Um, but I'm informing you of this to say this is a conference I would like our church to get behind in the future. It was such a good first year for the conference, and next year I think it's going to be even bigger. And so I'm wondering if we can, as we get nearer to this next year, maybe take up a special offering, or maybe you could start budgeting now uh, just a little bit. I mean, some guys were only given like 50 bucks, but it all adds up. And so even if you just put aside like $5 a month, I mean, it, it all adds up. And and so as we get closer to next September, I'll start, start bugging you on that. But I think it's a good way for us to help try and reach our Judea. So we need to have a heart for our area. We're very blessed, I mean, um, to be self-sustaining, if you will. And, uh, and so God's good to us, but we have the people. <laughs> I mean, we live in a city of 70,000, so we're able to reach far more people. But there was a very good spirit there. The preaching was fantastic. Um, and if Pastor Jet were in Rapid City, I would say we needed to combine churches, and he needs to be our pastor because he is the real deal, man. He is good. And I was just so impressed with what they're doing over there. And for him to take over for a man, a godly man like Bill Spencer, 
um, and see that church go forward, it's, it's really incredible. And so thank God for what they're doing on the east side of the state. And uh, there's nothing better than turning your car to the right for, and then staying straight for 360 miles. Amen. <laughs> um, and never leave the state. <sighs> it's a straight shot, though. Now, the main speaker was Pastor Dean Herring out of Idaho, and uh, he's got such an amazing work there. Uh, he's been there for 15 years now, and they set up and tear down for every service. They don't even have a building. They got me to thinking. <laughs> Is there a bigger place? And we just set up. Anyway, but he, if you like to listen to preaching, I would highly recommend trying to find messages by Pastor Dean Herring out of Idaho, and I even... I'm going to try to twist his arm to be here with us at some point. Um, he's a wonderful preacher. And so I'll tell you the best part of the conference, though, was the Patracos were there. <laughs> you used to be a rock star, brother, but now it's Brother Mike Patraco. <laughs> when Mike and Lisa walk in the room, theme music begins to play. <laughs> I'm telling you what, it's great. Lord. Yeah, it's awesome. Lord. It's awesome. And I tell you what was really good was it was wonderful to get to see the Petracos doing what God has called them to do. We hear about it, but to see it was really cool and to uh, see them in their element and also what we've commissioned them to do. So I had to check up on them, make sure he's doing a good job. They're doing a wonderful job. We are very blessed to have the Petracos uh, as a part of our church and work. And, and thank you so much, both of you, uh, for what you do. It was it was really was good to see you all out there. Uh, doing that, and I asked him if he got any more business. I told him to get better at what he's doing, but he's doing a good job. And uh, they do represent our press ministry in our church very well. And uh, hey, Petraco, Petraco. And uh, even to the point where I said, Brother, how do you pronounce your name? He said, Whoever's leading the conference gets to decide how to pronounce my name. And I just, so. thank you for investing in our region, albeit unknowingly, but thank you. I'll do better next year. Let's get behind this uh, church planning conference, and let's give towards this special meeting. Brother Petraco, your hand's up. Yeah, and for those of you watching at home, you probably couldn't hear that, but our old soundboard went to a church planner who's now using that in their work. And it was funny to listen to Pastor Jet describe the way he came across that soundboard. I guess there was a room full of stuff that they could go through, and he said, you want to know how to plan a church, you watch the veteran church planners. He said they make their way first to that room and they get out of there with everything they can. <laughs> and uh, so that ended up being quite a joke there. But uh, it was wonderful. And I'm really excited for Eastside Baptist Church. I'm thankful for Pastor Jet and all that they're doing there. And so just pray about all that. And as we get closer next year, I say we get behind this. Anybody who wants to come along can come along. I would invite every family that wants to come to come. Certainly we'll try to take our kids, I think, next year. So it was just a wonderful time. All right, commercial's over. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. As we keep excavating Ephesians, let's read verses 10 through 18. <clears throat> I need to do the same thing. So. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Don't ever doubt that we are in a spiritual warfare. There are souls to rescue, there are souls to save, and Satan is working to prevent us from doing all that we can do, trying to keep us from the battle. Therefore, we must be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. We must put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, that we may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. We are told to stand by having the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace. We're to take up the shield of faith in order to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. We are to put on the helmet of salvation. And again tonight, we are going to consider the sword of the spirit. Last week, I really only introduced this and how it's important for us to have the sword of the spirit, the value of having it. And remember This sword is not some decorative piece that we simply put on a shelf, we hang on a wall, it's not something we leave in a scabbard. This sword is something that we are to use in battle. We don't leave our our sword just laying around somewhere. we got to know where it's at so we can pick it up and we can be ready, at the ready, uh, when the battle starts. It's, It's a weapon. Amen. We actively use the word of God to engage our enemy. For those who have been tuned into our Sunday morning series through the Gospel of John, we just got done talking about the Word of God, and there's no way I could have weaved all this together. I couldn't have planned that we would land on John 17, 17, and Ephesians 6, 17 on the same week, but here we are. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And here we are talking about the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit. And so, undoubtedly, I'll say some things Again, but that's okay. The Holy Spirit wants us to hear it again. And so we'll just deal with that. Remember, when we were studying the belt of truth, we saw how the word of God is protective. It's defensive. It protects us from false doctrines. It protects us from false teachers. But now we need to consider the word of God as it is an offensive weapon. And certainly they they blend together here. And I want to begin by recognizing there is nothing more powerful that we have than the Word of God. Now, we have the Spirit of God living in us. Don't misunderstand me. But we have the very Word of God. And the reason the Word of God is so powerful is because it is the Word. It is God. Remember what John 1 says. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. All things were made by him, verse 3 says of the word. And without him was not anything made that was made. The word of God is so powerful that all God had to do was speak. And creation started. It didn't even start. I mean, it's done. Let there be trees. (laughs) Could you imagine the power that's in the word of God? The world was created by the word of God. The Bible tells us that the world is held by the power of his word. It consists by the word of God. It is staying together. It's operating on time. 
We know if the Lord tarries that the sun's going to rise at a specific time tomorrow. And the next day and the next. It's all held together by the power of God. Not only was there power in his words during creation, but while Christ was here, uh, his words were very powerful as well. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He made the lame to walk. He opened blinded eyes. He made the deaf to hear. He even raised the dead. All at his spoken word. His words were more powerful than nature. He rebuked the wind and the sea. And they had no choice but to obey. Because of how powerful his word is. One day soon this world system will be destroyed by the word of God. When he returns as our king. At his word. This is going to happen. And then Jesus will take us into the millennial reign. Ecclesiastes 8.4 says, where the word of a king is, there's power. When John described Jesus to us in the Revelation, in chapter 1 and verse 16, he wrote, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. To describe the power of the words of Christ, we find several times that they are likened to a sword. A sword which goes out of his mouth. In Revelation 19, we see when Christ will return to this earth and in righteousness, he will judge and make war. Listen to how Christ is described in Revelation 19, verses 12 through 16. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. That with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fiercest in wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. From that passage, we can note once again that his name is the Word of God. And his Word is so powerful that by his spoken Word, it'll be as a sharp two-edged sword that will bring all the nations to their knees. Isaiah eleven four says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Some preacher called it holy halitosis. He will but speak. You understand the power? He will but speak and nations will fall under him. They are sharper than a two-edged sword. And then we read in verse 21 of Revelation chapter 19. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. Which sword proceedeth out of his mouth? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. We're told that the man of sin, the son of perdition, will be consumed by the Lord with the spirit of his mouth. Make no mistake about it. The word of God is powerful. You say, well, that's great, but what does that have to do with me tonight? 
I want you to understand that this same sharp two-edged sword which proceeds out of the mouth of Christ in battle is the same word of God that we possess for our battles. Do you believe that? I mean, do you believe the word of God is that powerful? Listen, it can subdue nations. It happened back there in the 1770s. Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible, our sword, is described in the same terms as the words in which, <clears throat> as the words in which Christ will speak. It's the same sharp two-edged sword. That's exciting to me, amen? <laughs> what power there is in the word of God. And we have it available to us right now. We have what is sharper than any two-edged sword. And because He's all-powerful and because His Word is God-breathed and because this is a living book and God has provided this as the means by which we fight against our enemy. Let's go to a very familiar passage on this subject, Matthew chapter 4. Let's see how Christ used the word of God on the battlefield when the devil came to attack Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, would you look with me please in verses 1 through 10. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. When the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up. Lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Let's go ahead and read verse 11. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. There's a lot here that we're not going to get into. Many applications we can make. I'll try to bring out that which I think is most applicable to our subject at hand. As we consider Jesus using the word of God to attack back against the devil, I notice first of all, Jesus was led of the Spirit. I think this is critical. Jesus was led of the Spirit. In fact, we could back up and say that was after He was baptized. And if you're in Christ and you've never been baptized, you need to be. It was after He was baptized, He was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. And if you're going to be successful in your spiritual warfare, then you must be led of the Spirit. You'll never be successful walking in the flesh. We also see Jesus was praying and fasting. 
as we're being led of the Spirit. A Spirit-filled Christian will be a praying Christian and will at times be led to fast. Pray at all times. Fasting some of the time. Now, I don't want to get stuck here, but the Bible teaches that there's great power in fasting. We would all agree in the power of prayer, but how many of us has ever fasted enough to be able to testify of the power that is in fasting? And I don't mean fasting from ice cream. I mean fasting from food. That's what it means. So here Christ, being led of the Spirit, He has fasted 40 days, 40 nights. During this time, He's been praying. And you say, well, how do you know that? The text doesn't say He's been praying. Well, we know that prayer had to accompany His fast because that's the Bible method. That's the Bible way. In fact, if you're wondering if you've never really fasted before, the idea is you're replacing those hunger pangs with prayer. It's leading you to remind you of what you're fasting about. But that's for another time. And so he's praying, he's fasting, he's being led of the Spirit. And if Christ had been fasting in the power of his own flesh, then when Satan came along and said, turn these stones into bread, he'd have been desirous to do that. And you know what? I thought about today, Satan may be powerful, but he's not the smartest thing walking around. I mean, just think about it. Here's Satan, he's coming to Jesus, he's tempting him, and the three temptations we have recorded for us here. Now, Luke says he was tempted the whole 40 days, and then these three temptations. It's after Jesus has fasted and prayed, Satan comes along and tempts Jesus as if Jesus is going to be at his weakest, but Satan's so dumb that Jesus is actually at his strongest because he's been fasting and praying. And just to show you the rebellious stupidity of Satan, the Bible, which he so often quotes, tells us that he will be cast into the lake of fire, and yet he's still at it, still refuses. You understand what I'm saying? Now back to my point here. In order for the sword of the Spirit to be effective in our lives, it's going to take more than just running to the Word of God once the temptation happens or once the crisis hits you understand what so many do is the word of God is just simply placed aside something major happens in their life then they scramble to the word of God as they're on maybe some kind of alert in the military now they've got to scramble the jets to get out there that's not what the Bible teaches and so instead of running to the word of God when our time of sinful temptations arrive we've got to be battlefield ready at all times, and we've got to be conditioned for that. And I'm thankful that circumstances cause people to retreat to the Word of God, but if you really want to be effective in wielding the Word of God, you've got to be Spirit-led, you've got to be praying, and you've got to be fasting. And people will admit that they're giving way to some besetting sin when they can't seem to get victory over it, but could it be you're not Spirit-led? Could it be you're not praying as you ought to pray and perhaps you haven't seen your situation desperate enough as to fast? If we're going to be victorious, we have to be conditioned ahead of time. So here's Jesus. He's being tempted of the devil. These three temptations are recorded for us. 
after 40 days and 40 nights, and I think you could imagine if you hadn't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights, you would be hungry. I mean, most of us can't make it one day. So the devil, he comes to Jesus and he tempts him and he uses the first thing he ever used. He tempts him with food and why not use it? It worked in the Garden of Eden. Worked against Esau and it's worked throughout history. All of a sudden I'm wanting to shift in political mode and say that's the problem. People want a free meal for doing nothing. Anyway, we're going to let that lay low right now. So, in verse 3, the devil says to Jesus, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. He's not only tempting him in the area of hunger, but he's tempting him in the area of deity. If thou be the Son of God. In verse 5, the devil takes Jesus to Jerusalem, to the pinnacle of the temple, and he tempts Jesus to throw himself down in verse 6 and Then Satan proceeds to add to and take away from the word of God in what he quotes to Jesus. And the devil always wants to twist the meaning of the word of God. And we need to understand that the devil knows the word of God. He knows enough to quote it. I'm not saying he's the smartest guy when it comes to actually applying it, right? But he knows enough to quote it to uh, people and He probably knows how to quote more of the Bible than most Christians do. And though he does twist it, he knows enough to quote it. And he can quote just enough to make you think you're right. He can quote just enough to make you think he's right. If you didn't know enough of the word of God for yourself. This is why people fall for Mormonism. This is why people fall for Jehovah's Witnesses. Because they come along and say, this is what God has said. And you know what? They don't know their Bible. And it sounds true. But it's been added to, it's been taken away, it's been twisted. Satan will even say, it is written, which is the same tactic we're going to see Jesus using here in just a minute. Satan will say that, it is written. This is why it's absolutely imperative that we be in the Word of God on a regular basis so that we can recognize the lies which our enemy will sprinkle in to try to deceive us. And then in verse 8, the devil took Jesus into a high mountain. He showed him all the world's uh, kingdoms. The Gospel of Luke says, in a moment of time. Showed him all of this. And in verse 9, the devil said to Jesus, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And now here's the devil tempting Jesus to sin, uh, to sin. And let's observe how Jesus attacks back at Satan. Jesus fires back in verse 4, verse 8, and verse 12 with the phrase, It is written. Now, you can't just say that phrase. You've got to know what follows it. But we understand from that, Jesus is he's arming himself with the Word of God. He's loading the magazine. He's ready to fire. It is written. And he attacks Satan and his sinful temptations by quoting the Word of God 
And that's the only way we're going to be victorious. And what we need to notice, and I want you to, if you've tuned me out, tune in. And what we need to notice is that Jesus doesn't just quote random verses like so many try to do today. Many today will try to use scriptures in their warfare, but they are these generic verses which are really inadvertently reduced to nothing more than a pep talk. For example, people like to hang on to Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. What a great verse. But what we inadvertently do a lot of times is we shift the focus from Christ to I. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. No, it's all about Christ. It's all about His strength. And we get things turned around in these little cute verses sometimes that we have hanging around. And it all has to be taken in context. But what Jesus does here is he knows the scriptures so well that which, with each temptation, which was unique in its own way, he can't just use the same verse in each temptation to be as successful as he's being. But with each temptation, each unique temptation, he fires back with a verse which speaks to that particular situation. The devil tempts Jesus in the area of food, and Jesus doesn't quote something self-centered, but he quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Do you see how specific he's being? He didn't just say, well, I can do all things through Christ. The devil tempts Jesus to throw himself down, and Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.16, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The devil then tempts Jesus to fall down and worship him. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.13 or Deuteronomy 10.20. I think we all need to learn Deuteronomy. Amen. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. And we must grow in our knowledge of the word of God beyond refrigerator verses. Which are this pick me up. This pep talk, these verses that motivate us to get through the day. But we need to be able to wield the Word of God for our specific battle conditions. So what is your weakness? You know what it is. What is your weakness? Learn and memorize verses which pertain to that weakness. And through this, we'll find the transition from knowledge to wisdom. Philippians 4.13 is great. But what are your battlefield conditions? Do you need this overarching verse? Or do you need something that's specific to the target you're trying to hit? I think it would be beneficial right here for you to know. I don't often get into this, but real quick. There are three Greek words which refer to the Word of God. There is the Word, which is the whole of the Bible itself. There is the Word, which is the message from the Bible. And then there is the Word, which is the application of the Bible. It is the Greek word here in Ephesians 6.17 or over there where it says the word of God, it is Rama, which is an utterance. It is something that we declare. 
It is something that we apply. Now, what this means is, get this now, you can have a completed word of God, but you may not have a sword. Amen. You might know the overall message of the Bible. You might know the theme. You might know who it's about. But you may not have a sword. But when you can take the word of God, take its message, and then apply it to you, now you've got a sword. Is everybody with me on this? And so this requires us learning the word of God in a deeper way than simply understanding that Christ came to die in your place upon the cross of Calvary. But you must learn that Jesus, it was more than just death, burial, resurrection, and sins. Thank God for that. That's the gospel. That's the message, right? But the writer of Hebrews, he puts it this way in Hebrews 6.1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ. Huh? What is he saying? He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. And he goes on to say, look, we don't have to lay again the foundation of repentance and resurrection and baptism and the laying on of hands. We don't have to do that, but let's go on to something deeper. And it's later on in that chapter, I think I quoted it last Sunday night, where he says, and I expect things that accompany salvation. That there is a growth that takes place. That at the end of chapter 5, we're moving off of the milk of the word of God. We're leaving the, the principles of the doctrines of Christ. And we're going on to perfection. We're going on to something deeper. And this is what makes the difference for churches in this day. This is why there are churches that will not recover from coronavirus. Because all they had was the book and the message. But they never had the application. And this is what makes the difference. It is when people can take the word of God and they can wield it and they can apply it and they can say, no, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will be in church because the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because we're growing up, we're, we're moving from the principles of the doctrines. Of, we're moving on to perfection. You say, what does that mean? It means completeness. We are becoming, is it okay if I preach tonight? It's, we're becoming completed. We're becoming more than just these Christians that show up with this nice looking sword on our hip and we look like we're in the battle and it looks like we have the uniform. But when the pressure comes, when the temptation comes, we have nothing specific in which we can fire back. We've got to be able to apply the word of God. Jesus knew the Bible. How many of you would be hard-pressed to quote a verse that is unique to your battle condition? You see, our problem is we don't know the Word of God well enough. We can't quote it when we need it. And I like to fall back on this illustration, but we didn't gather in in the seven years of plenty. And when the seven years of lean came, boy, we were hurting. It's odd that we claim to love God's word and we claim that it's alive and powerful, but yet we spend so little time getting to know it. I want to ask you tonight, are you willing to dig deeper? Or are you just going to settle for verses which decorate our walls, our refrigerators, and our mirrors? Those are certainly helpful. But are they applicable to what you're really dealing with? Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Reading the word of God is great. 
but studying it, meditating upon it, and memorizing it is better. So I would close tonight by asking you, do you have a sword? doesn't matter if you own a Bible if you never learn it. It doesn't even matter if you know the message if you don't ever apply it. Psalm 149 verse 6 says, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. The end of verse 9 of that same psalm says, This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. You see, the sword of the word of God, it fits every hand that picks it up with the right intent. There is no age limit. And there is no expiration age limit. It is our honor to have his word as his saints. And we must be like Eleazar, who in 2 Samuel 23.10 arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave to the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. Is the Lord giving you great victory on your battlefield? If not... It's not because the Lord is weak. We must be spirit-filled believers who are willing to pray and fast and get to the application level of the Word of God. We must cleave the Word of God until our lives are shaped by it. Let's pray.